0: How many of you would say, you know what, I could use some extra money. So I should have most of your attention this morning, shouldn't I? All right. Um, I remember when Manny and I were first married, um, I was going to school full-time still, um, working part-time as a youth pastor. She was working full-time as a typist. She would literally sit in a closet. They had put a typewriter in a closet, and she would sit in there and type all day long. She must have really loved me to be willing to do that so that we would have money to buy gas and groceries and pay our rent. And we used an envelope system back then. Um, We would get our paychecks. We'd cash them at the bank. and We had all these different envelopes for gas and for groceries, for rent, and all things we need and we'd put a little bit of money in each of those envelopes and um, when the envelope was empty, when we ran out of money, then we were just done until we got paid again. And I remember we would go to the grocery store with a calculator, literally, and we'd go through the store and we'd add up what we were putting in our cart because we didn't want to have that embarrassing experience of getting up to the cash register, having all of our go- groceries go through and not having enough cash in the envelope to pay for what we had put in our cart. Uh, I remember we'd get to the end of the month and we would go through those envelopes and we'd pull out, you know, the pennies and the change and we would see if there was enough in there to add up to 39 cents so that we could go to Thrifty and share an ice cream cone. Does anybody remember 39 cent ice cream cones at Thrifty? Yeah, Um, that was 30 years ago. Um, The reality today is, you know, we have extra. Now, we're not rich. We're not wealthy. But there are some things that, you know, still cause financial stress. You know, when we think about things like how to pay for health care. And I have two kids that aren't married yet. And weddings are expensive. And there's that whole retirement thing. You know, so some of that stuff, you know, still creates some financial stress. But on a, you know, week-to-week, month-to-month basis, what comes in in our paychecks is more than what we really need to to pay our bills. And, you know, uh, we don't take a calculator to the grocery store anymore, and the things that we do kind of stop to ask, wow, can we afford that, cost a lot more than 39 cents. What about you? Where are you at in relationship to extra money? So just picture that, you know, this, this jar represents, you know, what your needs are. And so maybe you're a person that, you know, when, when you look at what you have, you realize that you know, wow, we've got some, but it just doesn't quite take care of what we need. You know, we get to the end of the month and, you know, there's more bills than there is cash. Maybe you're a person that, you know, you've got really just, just enough, right? You know, it seems like the money runs out right about the end of the month and more money comes in. And so we're just making it. But then again, you know, maybe you're a person that, you know, really has extra. You know, the bills are paid and there's, there's more than enough. That, that might be your, your situation. No matter which one of those you are, all of us have three things in common in relationship to our money. First of all, it's real simple. All of us have limited financial resources, whether you have not enough, whether you actually matter, you have limited financial resources. Even someone like Bill Gates or a Mark Zuckerberg who have billions of dollars, there's still a limit to that. There's still things they can't afford. The second thing, which is true, is that all of us have unlimited financial opportunities, right? Whether you've got a dollar or a hundred dollars or a million dollars, there's an unlimited number of things that you can do with that. Just to make the point, would any one of you this morning like to volunteer while the rest of us are sitting comfortably here to go to Walmart and make for us a list of all of the things that you can buy at Walmart for a dollar or less? Any volunteers? We'll we'll see you sometime next year, right? It's a long list. We have unlimited financial opportunities, and we seem to have collectively decided as as a culture that... We all want more, right? Even if we've got this, that's not enough. We just keep thinking we need more and more and more. And nowhere is that more evident than in the houses that we build to live in. This is an interesting statistic. In 1950, the average American family was 3.58 people. Now, I know there's no such thing as a 0.58 person, right? There's no half people, but it's just math. And so um, for those 3.58 people, the average home built in 1950 in America had 983 square feet. That's how big it was. By 2010, 60 years later, the average American family has shrunk from basically three and a half people to three people. Yet the average American house built has grown to 2,400 square feet. And by the way, in the last five years, that average has gone up another 200 square feet. It's now 2,600 square feet is the average size of an American home, even though our families are smaller. We're obviously not running out of room for people. We're running out of room for stuff. And I'm really not trying to make any of you feel bad. If you come to my house and you ask me to open my garage, it's unfortunately going to look a lot like that. It's a total disaster. Okay? Now, this never-ending pursuit of more causes us to make some financial mistakes some really common financial mistakes the first of them is simply the fact that we live a consumptive lifestyle we just spend and spend and spend again Americans the uh, the average american under the age of 45 so you know not not 25 not 35 45 the average american under that age has a net worth of less than $35,000. Now, for those of you who might know, what's net worth? That's Just imagine if you took everything that you owned and you sold it, got as much cash as you could, added that to whatever you have in the bank, and you figured out how much would that be. How much cash could you put your hands on? The average American under the age of 45 can't put their hands on $35,000. That means that they've been working for 20, maybe 25 years, yet haven't managed to save one year's salary. Why? Because we just live a consumptive lifestyle. And the second mistake is we spend without a plan. A poll from Gallup shows that only one out of three Americans has any kind of a financial plan, a plan for how they'll spend their money every month, a plan for how they'll save and invest for retirement. That means two out of three people have no plan at all for their money. Okay. When they ask those two out of three people, why, why don't you make a plan for what you're going to do with your money? Do you ever wonder what the answer was? We're just going to spend it all anyway. Why make a plan? That's our plan, is to just spend it. On the third mistake, cars. Buying and selling the cars is the third most common mistake that people make. The cheapest car, the least expensive car you will ever own is the car that you are driving right now. Now, some of you are saying, but you don't know my car. It's an old clunker. It's falling apart. I have to take it into the shop. A cheap new car these days. You know, you go in and you buy an inexpensive new car. The payments on it, the insurance, are going to be at least $500 a month. You go buy a nice car, they might be $1,000 a month to drive that car. What are the odds that the car you're driving right now will need more than $500 a month or $6,000 in repairs over the next year? And we'll need that every year for the next year five years. Cheapest car you'll ever drive is the one you have right now. And finally, the fourth mistake that many people make is the misuse and abuse of debt. Again, the average American household has $15,000 in what we call consumer debt. And what that means is it's money that's been borrowed to buy things that have already been consumed. Now, if you own a home, you probably have a mortgage. That mortgage might be a lot more than that, but you have a house you could sell to pay off the mortgage. But when you go to BJ's on Friday night and you charge dinner on your credit card, I'm pretty sure they don't want you to show up tomorrow and return your dinner and ask for your money back. Okay? That's consumer debt. And the interest on that debt if you've got 15,000 is typically around $150 a month that you're just spending to pay the interest on it and if it's on a credit card and they send you a bill with a minimum payment and you make the minimum payment you will never ever pay off the debt you will make that minimum payment for the rest of your life until the day you die and then your children or grandchildren will inherit the amount of money that you borrowed it is no wonder that most of us would like some extra money but how do we get it? How can you get from not enough to more than enough? Jesus has the answer. In fact, Jesus is the answer. And I understand that it might be tempting to look at Jesus' life, just to look at who he is, look at the way he lived or what you might know about the way he lived and think, you know, he wandered around and, you know, what, what would he know about money? You know, he didn't have a house and a wife and kids and all, you know, how would he really understand this? But I think Jesus knows more about money, how it works, and how to get from little to extra than we've ever imagined. Let's see how it works. Because when you trust him, when you trust Jesus, He turns a little into more than enough. John chapter 6. If you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 6. If you're like me and you read um, from the Bible app on your phone, um, John chapter 6. And I just want to begin reading in verse 1. It says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee that's the Sea of Tiberias and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, I just imagine you, Philip standing here next to me, leans over to Philip and he says, "Where shall we buy bread for all of these people to eat?" Now, I'm curious for you, how many people have to show up at your house for dinner for you to panic, right? Now, for some of you, I understand, you know, it's two or three, right? You know, the house is a mess. There's nothing that, you know, if anybody shows up at my house for dinner, I'm going to panic. But some of you might be, you know, the kind of host, you really like having people in your home, you know, small dinner parties. And so, you know, six, eight guests at your house sitting around the table, you'd be like, man, we love doing that. But boy, you know, 25, 30 people at our house for a party, that's really stressful. That's when I start to panic. Some of you, though, might be party people, right? Hey, man, we we love having 50 people at our house all the time. You know, the backyard all over. We don't care. It's just fun. How are you going to feel when I call you and I say, hey, you know, I've got 5,000 of my closest friends and their family coming to your house for dinner tonight. What are you going to feed them? You're going to panic, aren't you? right? That, that's just not going to work. We, we don't, how are we going to do that? But think about this. This isn't a practical joke. Jesus isn't, you know, making a joke here about this. There are 5,000 men, you know, others of Jesus' disciples, his followers, who wrote about this said, hey, there's 5,000 men plus the women and the children they're with, and there's thousands of people, and they've been following Jesus all day, and they're getting hungry and the kids are getting hungry. And you know what happens when kids get hungry, right? They whine, and they get grumpy, and they need to eat. And the adults get grumpy, and they need to eat. And Jesus is looking out here, and he's saying, there is a real need. There's always a need. Because there's things we really need, like food and like clothes and like a place to sleep at night that's safe and that's warm. And we need gas for our car so that we can drive from home to work wherever our job is so that we can earn money so that we can, can keep buying food and clothes and, and pay for the place, right? I mean, there are things, we got long lists of stuff we want, but if you really think about it, there are things we really need. And just about the time we think we've kind of got what we need covered, something unexpected happens, right? Some bill, something we didn't plan for. Yesterday, my Saturday, was to be spent working in the yard and putting brakes on one of our cars. So about 11 o'clock, I'm just finishing up the car, and I'm thinking to myself, this is awesome. I've got both of these things done before noon. And Mandy sticks her head out into the garage, and she says, there's water under the kitchen sink. Oh, oh. so I go climb under there with a flashlight. Sure enough, our garbage disposal is leaking. So I also put in a garbage disposal yesterday. And by the way, those things aren't cheap, right? That's the kind of thing that happens, right? These unexpected things. But that's actually inexpensive compared to what a car repair will be. Or if you've got a medical bill that might be tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars. There's always a need. And we can sometimes panic Because the available resources, what we have, doesn't look like it's enough. Listen in verse 6. He, Jesus speaking again, asked this only to test Philip. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. But Philip answered him, "...it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite." I have no idea if Philip was the kind of person that was actually doing the math in his head, right? He's trying to count the people and figure out how much bread they would eat and how much that would cost. Or if he's just the guy who's just trying to make the point to Jesus, this is ridiculous. What you're asking is absurd. There's no way I have enough money to buy food for all these people. Either way, Philip's the pessimist, right? He's the person that looks at this situation and says, the jar is half empty. But then keep reading. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here is a boy with small, five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? So Andrew sees the problem and says, Ah, we can solve this. We got it. He goes out amongst all these thousands of people and he finds one boy whose mom really loved him. Right? Any, any moms like that here? and She was going to let him go follow Jesus. Jesus is cool. You can can go hang up, but you got to go with food. And So she packed him this little lunch of five loaves, two fish. She's put it in a little bag. He's probably got it slung over his shoulder, and off he goes to see Jesus. Now, I like to say that I'm neither the pessimist nor the optimist because I really don't care how you feel about either of these things. And if you know me, you actually know that that's true. I'm the pragmatist, okay? If there are 5,000 people and we only have five loaves and two fish, that is not enough. We cannot feed all of these people with this food. That is reality. So what does Jesus do? Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same thing with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Jesus turns a little into more than enough. Miraculously, in Jesus' hands, food for one boy becomes enough food to feed thousands of people. Don't miss the pattern, because it happens in our lives all the time. We have a need. We all have needs. We always have needs. And what we have doesn't look like it's enough to meet our needs. And Jesus turns a little into more than enough, but not until we trust him with what we have. The boy must have been hungry. He's been following Jesus all day. He hasn't eaten his lunch yet. He's got to be hungry. He could have taken that little bag, kind of put it under his robe just kind of snuck away. just a boy. Nobody would have noticed. Gone, sat down behind a rock or a tree somewhere and eaten his lunch all by himself and fed himself. He could have done that, but he didn't. He trusted Jesus with everything that he had, and Jesus turned his little into more than enough. No one went hungry. No one. Remember, they gathered up extra food after everyone had eaten all that they wanted. That little boy that gave up his lunch probably ate the best bread and the best fish that he'd ever tasted in his life, and as much of it as he could eat until he was so full he couldn't eat anymore, and there was still left over. Jesus took his, what he gave up in faith and made it enough for everyone and took care of his needs too. So what does that look like for you and I? What does that look like that pattern look like in our lives today? So let's go back to these jars. Maybe you're thinking about this this morning. You're sitting there, you're saying, I I don't have enough. Like I'm I'm every week or month running out of money before the bills get paid. Or maybe you're going, you know what? It it seems like we always have just enough, right? There's, you know, I I sit down and I pay the bills and the bank account's empty, but it's payday. And so then the next thing comes in and we just barely make it every month. Here's my challenge to you. Set some aside, set some aside, and trust Jesus to make the rest more than enough. Literally, this is what I want you to do. When you leave today, I want you to go home and I want you to take some, probably not pennies, find some bills somewhere, whatever you have, and I want you to put them in an envelope. Don't really even care how much. Just take a little, put it in an envelope, close it up, and I want you to write on the front of it this I am trusting Jesus. To make the rest more than enough. And then you take this envelope and you just put it somewhere. Just leave it there. Now, I can tell you that a couple things are gonna happen. One, while this envelope is sitting over there somewhere, wherever you put it, you over out here are going to see something that you want. You know, maybe it's those new Jordans, maybe it's the dress in the window. Maybe it's your friends are, you know, going out for an evening and you want to go with them and, you know, have dinner and drinks and, you know, pay for that. And you're going to know that this money's here and you're going to be tempted to go take this envelope and to open it up and to get that thing that you want. If you do, when you get to the end of the month and you run out, it's your problem, not Jesus. Okay, one of my gifts is directness, not compassion. It's your problem, okay? You cannot take the money that you put in this envelope and go spend it on something that you want, okay? Because then I just guarantee that, that you won't have enough. And part of trusting Jesus with a little is understanding that we've got to take ownership of what it is that we're spending that little on. But the second thing I can say is going to happen almost without any doubt and with much certainty is that somewhere over the course of the next weeks or months, you will come across something that you need, not something that you want, something that you need, and you will think to yourself, wow, I really need that, and I know that I put this little aside, and I could take it, and I could go take care of that thing that I need. Don't. First, pray. Remember what it says on the front of the envelope? It says, I'm trusting Jesus to turn the rest into enough. Let that remind you to pray and to ask Jesus to provide for whatever it is that you need. Now, I am not telling you that when it has literally all run out and your kids are hungry or you don't have gas to get to work so that you won't be able to earn any more money, you know, to to be able to continue to get paid, then, then open it. When it's really that desperate, I'll give you permission to open it. But until then, I want you to trust Jesus to make it enough. Third thing, when it turns out that Jesus can turn a little into more than enough, I want you to take what is in this envelope and give it away. Now, I don't care where you give it. If you want to bring it here and you want to just, as it is, take that envelope and put it in our offering basket as it goes by, you're more than welcome to do that. We'll accept that. But I want to be really clear to you. I'm not asking you to do this so that adventure as a church will have extra money. This is not about getting the church extra. This is about getting you extra. And so I really don't care where you give it. Maybe you know someone in your life that you're looking at them and saying, you know what, they don't have enough either. And so I'm going to take this little bit that I set aside and I'm going to give it to them and I'm going to tell them, God made my little more than enough, maybe he will use what's in this envelope to help you make your little more than enough. All I'm asking is that you give it away. Two more things. One, when that happens, please, please don't forget to thank Jesus for making your little more than enough. And second, I want to find out about this. Just tell me, I, my email address is cwhitney at Just write a little story and send me an email. If you see me on a Sunday morning, just grab me and say, Hi, hey, this is what happened, and, and tell me a story. I would love to hear that story. Now, what if you have extra? What if this is more your circumstance? You, you, don't, you don't need to put a little bit in an envelope and trust God to make the rest enough because it's already enough. What do you do? Here's my challenge. Give some extra away and trust Jesus to make it more than enough. See, here's what I think happens. Those of us that have extra can easily end up adopting a little-is-not-enough attitude about the extra right? We, we look at the size of the needs in our world. Seven billion people on the planet. One out of five of them live on less than a dollar a day, okay? This is like $15 worth of pennies, right? There's 15 people who are going to try and live on this today. They don't have enough food. They don't have enough clothes. They don't have a safe place to sleep. But I can look at the size of that need. That's over a billion people, and I can think, well, what good is my little bit of extra going to do, right? It, it, it just barely makes a dent in that. And so instead of giving it there, you know what I end up doing? I just end up taking it and I go, you know what? I'll just add it to the little extra I already have and get myself something else that I want. If you've got extra, I don't care if it's $10 extra. I don't care if it's 10000 extra. I don't care if you happen to have a million extra? Here's my challenge to you. Look around and ask yourself this question, what need seems bigger than my extra? Most of you know that I part of what I do is help church planners, help young pastors start new churches. I was in Ohio all week this week with a bunch of Young couples that made me feel very old as these 25 year olds are getting ready to go out and start new churches. And I remember that that's what I did very many years ago. And one couple that I was working with this week have really feel that God's calling them, leading them to go to a city where there are very few churches and almost nobody goes to church. And it's one of the most expensive cities in the country to live in. And as we were leaving on Thursday, and I was saying goodbye and getting ready to drive off to the airport. They they asked me, said, you know, we we know we've got to go home and start telling people about how much this is going to cost. And we've listened to some of what you said, and we want to make sure that that the number we're telling people at least makes sense. And and he said, I'm pretty sure you're telling us we've got to go look for a million dollars. And I looked him straight in the eye and he said, based on the vision you've told me that God's given you, you're right, it's at least that much. That'll make three new churches that I have a part of right now that all have costs in excess of a million dollars because of the cost of living in the cities where these churches are being started. Now, the the compassionate part of me looks at that and says, I would love to write you a check for that million dollars. But you know what? If I cash it all out, I can't do that. I don't have those resources, so what do I do? I have to trust that the little bit of extra that I have, if I will put it in God's hands, that he knows how to make it enough for what it is that he wants to accomplish. Now, for you, it doesn't have to be church planning. Maybe what you care about is children who don't have enough to eat. Maybe what you care about is homeless men who are living on the streets. Maybe what you care about is young women who are being sex trafficked. Maybe what you care about is people who have no one to tell them about Jesus. You decide what it is that you care about that seems bigger than you. And you take some of the extra, and you say, God, I'm going to give this to you, and I'm going to trust that you will make it enough to accomplish your purpose. Now, I'm pretty sure that someone out there is doing the math, and right now you're saying to yourself, now, wait a minute. You said at the beginning that we were going to talk about getting to extra money, and you're telling us to give money away. That doesn't work, right? Two and two is four. It's not five, six, or seven. How is this supposed to work? First of all, I am not really telling you to just give money away. The most important thing that I want you to hear is that Jesus wants you to trust him with your money. Not just a little bit of it, all of it. Just like that boy who was willing to give up his entire lunch so that Jesus could use it to feed thousands of people. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 14. He says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is, hear these words, more than enough room in my Father's home. What is extra? More than enough. Jesus is saying there is extra room in my Father's house. If this were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Ultimately, Jesus is offering you something that is far more than money, far more value than money. He's saying, you can be with me and live in my Father's house forever. And if we're going to trust him for that, believe that that is what he is going to give us, why in the world wouldn't we trust him with the little bit that he's given us right now? But secondly, I'm suggesting that when you put Jesus plans first. Put what Jesus wants first. He takes care of your needs also, right? Just like the boy. He said, hey, Jesus needs this lunch, so I'm going to give it to Jesus. Yet, in the end, he ate as much or more food than he would have had if he just kept it for himself. Jesus said, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well, no matter how much you have right now whether it's not enough, whether it's just enough, whether it's more than enough. Trust Jesus with a little, and he'll turn it into more than enough. And one final thought. We exist as a church to bring Jesus' hope to an imperfect world. If ever there was a week to remind us that we live in an imperfect world, this is it. Thursday morning, I was reading a headline and then reading through the article because a few years ago, I helped a young couple start a church in Indianapolis. But that sinking-in-my-gut feeling I had, someone else, not me, found out that it was the young couple they helped. And then Friday afternoon, I'm texting my daughter to find out if her friends in Paris are okay. She sent back, yeah, Dad, everybody's been marked safe on Facebook. And then I read the headlines about right here in Sacramento and a couple of young boys who lost their life. It's been a bad week. You know, I don't know if you'd feel good about that statement if we said it this way. We've kind of politely put imperfect world there. Sometimes it just feels like it's a messed up world. Really messed up world. We exist to bring hope into that because we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. And our vision isn't just that somehow the church does that. Our vision is that you would do that, that every one of you would become an adventurer who saw your purpose in life to bring hope to the messiness, to the imperfectness in the world around you, wherever that happens to be and whatever that happens to be. But you know what? You can't be a hope bringer if you don't have hope. If you're hopeless, you don't have any hope to offer. And I know that this issue, money, feeling like you don't have enough money, really not having enough money, can suck the hope out of your life faster than anything And so if we are going to be adventurers who bring hope to an imperfect world, we have got to get this right. We have got to learn to trust Jesus with whatever we have, a little or a lot, believing, believing that he can make it more than enough for what the world needs and for what we need. Will you pray with me? Lord, I am really grateful for what you have given me. And I look back as I have this week thinking about this and realize how little I had and how much you've given me. Realize um, things that I've been able to do that I never dreamed that I would be able to do because of your generosity in my life. I am extremely grateful. Lord, I know there would be some people like me, and I just pray this morning that they'll be reminded of how generous you have been towards them. But Lord, I also know that there's people here this morning thinking, well, I don't have enough. I don't know what that's like. I'm counting pennies, and they're not enough. And the bills are piling up, and I don't know how they're going to get paid. Jesus, I pray for all of us that we would learn to trust you. Trust you with what you have given us, believing that you will turn it into more than enough. I pray that you will give each person here this morning the courage to trust you with their money and to see the miraculous things that you will do when they do. We pray in your name. Amen.